Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost with no fees or markups. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Want more? Download the Crypto.com app today. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Today's guest is Alex Adelman, co-founder and CEO of Lolly. Welcome, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. The day that the show will come out is Black Friday, so I figured it's as good as time as any for people to learn about your service. What is Lolly? Lolly is a easy way for people to earn free Bitcoin when they shop online. So Black Friday is the perfect day to uh, tell that to people. And how does it work? So we partner with top merchants uh, like Walmart, Priceline, Booking.com, uh, companies like that, and they pay us when our users shop their sites. And then we send that payment and share that with our users, sending Bitcoin to their Lolly wallet. And who are some of the stores that you have as partners? Uh, we have a lot. So we have over 750 uh, partners, uh, and we just launched a little over a year ago. And so, yeah, uh, everyone from Walmart, uh, Harry's, um, a lot of travel partners uh, like Priceline, Hotels.com, Booking.com. Yeah, people can shop for just about any category. Uh, Grocery is really big for us as well. Um, but yeah, we've been working really hard uh, to secure as many merchant partnerships as possible. And I think to this day, we have probably more merchant partners uh, than any other Bitcoin or crypto company, uh, major major merchants at least. Um, and yeah, we're, we're just really trying to uh, lead the way in mass adoption of Bitcoin. And percentage-wise, how much can people earn back? So our average percent across all merchants is 7%, um, but people can earn upwards of 45%, I believe, was is the highest as of today. So you can, you can earn a serious amount back. It's not like um, credit card points or anything like that. We have these uh, direct partnerships with these merchants and we negotiate these rates. And uh, because of the, uh, the nature of our relationships, Really, what they're paying for is they're they're looking to attract new customers. So we're able to negotiate high rates um, and really pass back the margins to the uh, consumers that um, maybe want to shop somewhere and earn Bitcoin instead of any sort of other incentive uh, mechanism. And so it's it's free found money, um, and we work really hard to to bring that to our our users. 
How many users do you have at this point? Um, we're not sharing the exact number yet, but um, in the high tens of thousands. And okay. And yeah, you launched in August 2018. So I guess that's pretty good traction. And how much have your customers earned in Bitcoin so far? Um, so the average just passed $30 uh, on the, for the average shopper um, across all wallets. So um, the thing that I think is really interesting about Lolly is is the activity. I think, and you know, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but um, I believe that we have the most active Bitcoin wallet uh, today because it's not, it's not just a wallet that people are sending back and forth. They're actually earning actively. So every time they make a purchase, it becomes an active Bitcoin wallet. So it's a lot of transactions leading up to the average of $30. And clearly we have whales uh, you know, on the platform that are earning a lot more than $30. Um, but it's a lot of, a lot of uh, I guess, um, Satoshis to, to add up to $30 as being the average um, Bitcoin back. And then also a lot of our users um, you know, have come on in the last few months leading up to the holidays um, and, and our exponential growth over the last uh, few months. What percentage of your users cash back out to USD and what percentage holds their Bitcoins? Uh, that's a great question. So a, a, the vast majority never take it out uh, to cash. Um, we've had, I actually was have been surprised uh, with how many people don't take out cash. Um, so we do, you know, you can transfer to any Bitcoin wallet, any Bitcoin exchange that you want. Uh, we'll actually teach you how to do it because we're I, I really want to teach people about cold storage. I want to teach people about, you know, paper wallets and, and you know, best ways to uh, practice uh, safety with their storage. So you, you can transfer to any any address, but you can, as you mentioned, transfer out to U.S. dollar to any U.S. bank account as of today. The interesting thing is, like, I, it's been so few people that have used the USD transfer. Um, I think people... You know, they have the choice that they either use Ebates for cash back or they use us for Bitcoin back or Sats back. Um, so they make the decision. So if they were going to use Ebates, they would that they would just take the cash. If they were going to use us, they can get free Bitcoin. And so what percentage just keep it in Lolly versus transferring it to their own wallet? Uh, the vast majority keep it in, in Lolly. Um, I think that we're we're sort of part of a Bitcoin education company and part of Bitcoin rewards company. And I think it's important, you know, we, we have to constantly remind ourselves of that because it's, it's so important that like, I, we think that we're nearing 50% of our users have never had Bitcoin before and that we're their first wallet, which is really exciting. And, and there's, um, you know, I think that we get a lot of questions about, okay, what do I do with it now that I have like $5 in Bitcoin or $10 in Bitcoin? And I you know, the, the honest answer is like, you know, we, we want people to hold it for now. Uh, I think that Bitcoin is not at a point where it should be spent, um, in my in my opinion. I think it's not a medium of exchange yet. It's a store of value. And Lolly works as a way to, of found, uh, you know, a business model to create found money for our users and encourage them to hold on to it. Because the, you know, since we launched, uh, Bitcoin was at 3600 um, a little over a year ago, and it since uh, doubled, actually more uh, more than doubled in some cases. So our users have earned two times the amount of you know what an Ebates has or any other cashback company because they held the ones that sold. You know, as any of us you know sold when we bought Bitcoin, you're, you're sort of quickly discouraged to do that because uh, you see the the price um, historically go up. 
And how did you come up with the idea for Lolly? It's, I guess it's like with any, any idea, it's like a, it's never one thing and I'll be, I'll be short with the, the story, but um, basically uh, my, my team and I, uh, same team as Lolly, um, we started a company about eight years ago and it was, uh, we built the leading e-commerce gateway. Uh, what we ultimately did is we were one of the inventors of the buy button, uh, giving people the ability to buy natively anywhere. And we had this mission of democratizing commerce. How do we give everyone in the world the ability to connect with each other and uh, buy and sell natively anywhere? How do we take you know something like Instagram and Pinterest and all these news publications and blogs and let people buy right there? And my thesis was that the the best products would rise to the top and the best sellers would would make the most money. Sort of, you know, I, I think that's. That was the the dream of of Cosmic. Uh, I was like 22 years old, and uh, clearly, you know, there was a, a lot of learnings uh, along the way. But a couple years in, I, I was at a bar, uh, crashing on couches in New York, um, you know, pitching a merchant, selling the dream, and I, I bumped into uh, Ryan Shea, if, if you know him, mm-hmm. um, and I'd, I'd never Former met him before. Former co-founder of Blockstack. Yes, yes, and and so uh, I bumped into him and. He had just sort of gotten into, into Bitcoin at the time. And he was, I was, you know, asking him what he was into and, and he was talking about um, Bitcoin. And he had that moment that I think a lot of us have had where he was just so inspired by the principles of it and was explaining it to me. And everything he said resonated so deeply with me because of what I was building with Cosmic. I, Bitcoin is the democratization of commerce directly tied to a currency. And we've never seen that in the entire world. It's, it's like an asset that everyone in the entire world, you know, with, with an internet connection can own. And everything that we were building with Cosmic was working towards that. So we actually like spent a little bit of time. I wouldn't say we pivoted at any point, but we tested the market by going to a lot of our top merchants and saying, Hey, would you want this as a payment tool? Because, you know, we were dealing with buy buttons and hooking into 90 different payment gateways. So we were at this like core of, of payments and merchants just didn't want it. There was no demand for it. Um, as interesting as I thought the technology was, the volatility like really, you know, is still an issue. And so we sort of, um, I, I, I kind of learned uh, then that, that Bitcoin, I didn't think was going to be, have the pervasiveness that a lot of people thought it was going to have in the payments world, even though it was amazing with no intermediaries, with direct transfers, um, the no middlemen. Um, I, I, I think that it still has incredible principles for medium of exchange in the future. But as of today and as of five years ago, it, it was not the best medium of exchange. So anyway, um, fast forward, we ended up getting acquired by our biggest customer, which was Pop Sugar, to come in and power $1.2 billion in retail revenue running through ShopStyle, uh, one of the largest e-commerce shopping uh, sites uh, in the world at the time. So uh, we ended up uh, coming in there. Uh, we, we grew about 10x post-acquisition. Um, really, I think, you know, proved the demand for what we were building. And uh, about a year in, Ebates, uh, the largest cashback company in the U.S., came and bought us away from Pop Sugar in a divestiture. And, and so we were at Ebates, uh, the biggest cashback company, for a year and, you know, gave them our technology. We, we got to learn their business model uh, we get to learn, you know, how their technology works. Uh, I got to meet just about every retailer in North America um, through the combination of Cosmic, through ShopStyle with a lot of fashion merchants, and Ebates with a lot of mass merchants. So uh, after about a year, we parted ways. And I 
I just kept coming back um, afterwards to this idea of the biggest problem with Bitcoin was distribution. A lot of my friends that had gotten into it had gotten into it because they had invested. Very few had gotten into it because they mined. And none of my friends that had gotten into it had gotten into it easily. It was always like they had taken a big risk. They had, you know, they had survived um, a bear run. It was like not pretty. And I wouldn't recommend it to my sister, my mom, my dad, my friends from back home. And I think even to this day, I've never recommended anyone buy Bitcoin. Um, so I ended up, um, kept coming back to this idea of cash back, uh, but for Bitcoin as a way to distribute Bitcoin to more people and set people up with wallets. So, um, I, you know, reassembled my team with a very similar dream and we ended up launching, um, about six months later. Uh, I was unlike, you know, five years ago, I was amazed with the, the amount of merchants that we got in the first six months. Um, one, because we had a lot of the partnerships already and we had made them a lot of money over the last eight years. But two, I think they were like really interested in Bitcoin, but couldn't quite rationalize using Bitcoin as a payment mechanism, but they could use it as a reward mechanism. All right. We're going to discuss how this works on the back end in a moment. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets, but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com. Crypto.com sees the future of cryptocurrency in every wallet. Have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card powered by crypto. Loaded with perks, including up to 5% back on all your spending and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 6% per year on the most popular coins like BTC, XRP, LTC, and up to 12% per year on stable coins like PAX or TUSD. Just a few taps before you start receiving interest every week. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today. Back to my conversation with Alex Adelman of Lolly. How does this work on the back end? I'm presuming the merchants don't actually have Bitcoin on hand to give you as a percentage of each of the purchases. Are you just like constantly buying Bitcoin to transfer to your customers? Correct. So our merchants pay us in in US dollars at this point. Um, the beautiful part about the, the business model is that it scales, uh, I think, way faster and easier than a cashback system. So to start... We, you know, we have to work with the archaic rails that we're given. But the beautiful part is that retailers can pay us in any currency and we can give out into the currency that has the most value for the consumers, which for our, our customer, it's Bitcoin. And because we can distribute it anywhere in the world, hypothetically, that makes it really easy for, for Lolly to scale. So over the first year, um, I think, you know, part of my learnings from my last company with Cosmic is that uh, focuses everything in building, uh, you know, a, a company. And we've really focused on the U.S. to drive as much GMV for merchants, our top merchants in particular, as possible to really build up leverage. And it's part of a long play 
uh, I would say a five to 10 year play of building up trust with the merchants and proving value and, and ultimately having leverage because in two, three, four years, um, I would love to go to Walmart. I'd love to go to booking.com. And I would love to say, Hey, we've driven you a hundred million dollars in revenue. This is a real Bitcoin is real. Uh, the demand is real and we want to uh, offer a, a way more uh, efficient, uh, frictionless, uh, method of payment and one that serves you one that you don't have to use the credit cards companies. You don't have to use the, the banks, uh, for fulfillment. You can, um, you can accept Bitcoin. You can do it with little to no fees whether that be through the Lightning Network or whatever exists at that time. And we can make a really easy way for people to not only be rewarded in Bitcoin, but also for people to pay with Bitcoin and remove a lot of the, uh, the underlying tax that we, are, we don't even know about um, on fiat rails. And the way that you do it is you wait to transfer the Bitcoins until after the uh, return window of that particular merchant. So, you know, in many cases, Correct. people don't receive their Bitcoin until like 30 or 90 days later. But so obviously, because Bitcoin's volatile, let's say I purchase something for a 100 bucks, and then your service promises me 5% of that purchase back. And so I'm supposed to get $5 worth of Bitcoin back. But if between the time I purchase and the time I actually get my Bitcoin from Lolly, let's say that the price of Bitcoin doubles, then how much Bitcoin do I receive? Do I get five dollars worth based on the price at the time that I bought, which would be worth ten dollars by the time I get it, or will it be uh five dollars based on the current price, which would then be two dollars and fifty cents of what I actually spent? Yes. So it it basically um it really depends on the merchant. Some merchants pay out immediately. It really depends on the return period. So if a if a merchant is uh, has a 30 day return period, then you'll get your Bitcoin after 30 days. And I think right, right, right. But but did you understand my question? Uh, of course, like, let's yeah. say within the 30 days, the price of Bitcoin doubles. Right. So I think a lot of our users just are excited to I mean, it's, it's one of those things where they believe in the principles. And so they're getting Bitcoin back. So but I mean, it could also dip, it could increase. Um, so really, it's like you're getting your Bitcoin back uh, when you whenever the merchant pays us. So it's yeah, I think that that's like uh, most of our users are okay with it. Very few uh, they ask questions, and then they're then they're okay with it. Okay, so it's based on when the return window closes, not when you actually make the purchase. Correct. Um, there's okay. some creative ways in the future that we're planning for right now that we haven't announced or released yet, um, where we can minimize our risk. Because really, if we buy it and then somebody returns it. Uh, we are held with the risk. And due to the nature of us being just a small startup, um, I think it's really difficult to, unless we want to go raise an absurd amount of capital and basically build a bank on top of Bitcoin from day one and dilute ourselves into oblivion. There's really like not a lot of incentive to get really creative on the financial side yet. When we become, when we get to scale, I think that there's uh, going to be more creative ways. Like the more the more shoppers we have, the more uh, merchants we have, the more you know money flowing through the system that we have, the more we can do to reward immediately. And and then clearly, you know, you wouldn't get that Bitcoin, but at least it would be locked in at the price. And then if you don't return, then you get the Bitcoin at that price. Okay. And one other thing I want to ask about your is about your business model because similar services like Ebates and Honey collect personal data. What is your business model? Where do you 
make money on this? Yeah. So to be very clear, we, we do not make money on selling data and we never will. Um, I think it's, it's really important to understand. I think that that's one of the, like, I think one of the funniest things of working at Ebates is people's misconception. They're just like, it sounds too good to be true. And that was the biggest problem with their business. And granted, they built a $5 billion business. Um, but it, it was almost, it was too good to be true was like sort of the, the feedback. Like, why are you, where am I getting this money? Are you selling my data? And the, the real answer is like, you know, I, I can't speak to, to Ebates, but Lolly does not sell data. We do not, we're not incentivized to it, uh, to sell data. I think we would lose the majority of our customers if we ever sold data. And clearly we'd have to disclose that, um, if we, if we sold data, uh, at any point. Um, I think in the future, people, uh, I look at like the control of data as people being able to opt in or opt out. And people might want to earn more by sharing certain parts of their data that would be aggregated and anonymized. So I might share that I am between the ages of, 20 and 25 and that I'm a male and that I live in the U S uh, but I wouldn't want to share any more information. And thus I, I should be able to share that and monetize <clears throat> off of that, that data. So that's how I look at the future of data control. I hope that we play a big part in setting a uh, precedent for data control and data management and, you know, ultimately personal data monetization. Um, but at this point, uh, no, we only make money from our merchants. We do not make money from uh, selling any data uh, and, and if I, you know, as long as I'm in control, we will never, we never will. We, we actually don't even store the vast majority of it because we don't want to even be responsible for it. Um, our merchants are literally just paying for the customer to transact. And that's the only piece that we need to let the, let the merchant know that user one, two, three, four, five is buying on, you know, site X and they need to get rewarded in that moment. So earlier when you said that about 50% of your users are new people who never held Bitcoin before, how do you know that? A lot of it is from customer support and uh, seeing like we get a lot of like requests that are that we categorize uh, internally as like what what type of user that is. And so I think it's like a creative way of trying to figure out who our user base is Um, and we can say like there's, you know, very clear uh, names that are like female names and male names. Um, and so our estimate there um, is around uh, 30% of our users, we estimate, are female and, and clearly 70% are male. Um, and then... Yeah, I think that... Am I right in thinking that might be one of the highest percentage of female crypto users am- amongst other crypto far. companies? It's for, I think the, the last public uh, data that I saw, which I am not sure, you know, how accurate it was, but it was... I think, you know, it was, it was, uh, it seemed like a reputable source. It was 4% was the, the average crypto project, uh, was female, 4% female. So, um, you know, I, I think if, if we are right about this 30%, which I think we're probably off by maybe at most, uh, five to 10% up or down. Um, I, I think that it's uh, five to 10 percentage points or five to 10%. A five, like it, like a like a variable of five to ten percent uh, between thirty percent of thirty percent. So so it, it would like I think at its lowest we're probably twenty percent female, and at our highest we're probably forty percent female. Okay, and one other thing is that you did say that theoretically this could be done anywhere in the world, but in your FAQs it only it says that you only support the U.S which mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. Like, does that mean that you that only U.S. businesses are your partners or only people with U.S. shipping addresses addresses can 
sign up or is this for U.S. citizens or what, what does it mean that you only support the U.S.? And why, if, 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 and why, theoretic, if theoretically this can be done anywhere in the world? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I think that the biggest thing is, is focus uh, and, and, and scale. You know, we are a small startup. Uh, we you made a decision not to uh, raise an absurd amount of money to, to start to, to scale this thing. But if you look at us as just a startup, remove the Bitcoin side and remove the economies of scale that we have um, over the next several years from working on top of Bitcoin rails instead of fiat rails, um, there's, there's a lot of exciting advantages there. Um, to start, we are a, we're, you know, we're a small startup and I would love to see an example of a startup that is, you know, in, in structure similar to ours that has scaled internationally from day one. Um, <laughs> so it's it, the biggest thing is like when every country that we go to, we have to deal with new, um, financial regulations in those countries. The, the beautiful part about our, our business is that we don't have to deal with the independent um, banks for each country. Because if you think about the model for Ebates, they're limited by the banking partners to do like ACH transfers or to do big fat checks, if you're familiar with their model. And, you know, if people wait, they, they get four checks every quarter and you get your big fat check in the mail and that's sent by, you know, a, a banking partner. And so there's so many things that have to be put in place every time they scale to a new country. And so it actually inhibits their business from scaling uh, quickly. I mean, they're a $5 billion company and they're only in a few countries to this day. So I think it was 4 billion by the way that they sold for. They sold for one billion, but what, what they're valued at, the estimated value internally, uh, Honey was just sold for four billion. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Sorry. That, no, okay. Okay. Um, Thank you for correcting me. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's like a, a niche space, so it's I, I'd be surprised if anyone was really <laughs> following it over the years. But I clearly, uh, I've I've been in space for a while and been following it very, very closely. Yeah, but and and so then, can you define what it means that you only support the U.S.? Oh, yes. Sorry. So we, we only support uh, U.S. Uh, citizens right now because that's what we're legally required to do. And we're, we're trying really hard to like, be compliant, like legally compliant so that we can scale. Uh, I think that's incredibly important for any, any crypto-related business uh, right now. And we're intentionally like, you know, waiting on the, on the merchant partnership side too. Uh, because we don't do any sort of like schemes or, or hacks, we, we work directly with merchants. We do need merchants that are uh, international as well. So that's the other component. Um, luckily, you know, I've worked with a lot of Canadian merchants in the past. I've worked with a lot of European merchants and Southeast Asian merchants from uh, the last eight years. So we have the, we have the relationships. Um, now it's about actually establishing the partnerships and then localizing our sites. Um, and then of course, uh, fraud is, is a little bit, uh, is not a little bit, it's, it's, higher when you go outside the U.S. Uh, in a lot of cases. So uh, we have to be mindful because um, if you look at a lot of these uh, reward type businesses, um, fraud is is a big issue. And we learned a lot of, uh, I think, uh, industry um, secrets that a lot of people who are just like building businesses um, in the space do not know that like Ebates is a fraud detection company. It's a rewards company, but part of the thing that makes it so unique is they're incredible at fraud detection. And those are some of the practices that I think break these businesses early on. And we have to be mindful when we scale this business uh, internationally to be uh, mindful of that. Um, the other piece is, you know, regulation. So, you know, getting FinCEN licenses in Canada uh, is, you know, is a big thing. Um, and a lot of it you can self-attest, um, but 
Um, in some countries, you can't. So making sure that when we scale internationally, um, we want to see that. I think the exciting part about our business is that we've built it very much in public. We are very active on Twitter. If you follow us uh, there, it's Trilolly is the handle. And we have a, a massive international following. So um, the demand is there. Um, and we are uh, scaling internationally um, in the goal is January 2020 uh, to launch um, our next country uh, in, in 2020. Okay. And uh, you guys actually did announce a partnership with Alibaba, but you didn't actually have a partnership with them. So what happened there? So, no, uh, we did have a partnership with them. Um, and if you kind of look at like... But they said that you didn't. Uh, look at every... Look, look at how they said it. Um, I, I, you know, don't want to get into any, uh, legal battle clearly with, with Alibaba. Um, but there was a lot of creative wordsmithing there. Um, so if you look at the final article on, on, uh, Cointelegraph that published our response to their denial, um, I, I think that it makes it very clear. We have clear, like, legal documents that show that we had a partnership, uh, with them. And uh, if you look at everything going on in the last three, four months with China and everything they're doing to ban uh, crypto, Bitcoin, and, and as they push their own native um, government currency, I think you can kind of like, you know, put two and two together and see really what actually happened. And um, I think it's really interesting to see the sort of the censorship of media um, that we, we saw at least and just straight denial of facts that we presented so I think some journalists had to publish what Alibaba told them, but we, we presented clear facts that we had a partnership with them. Um, and yeah, when we, we had been driving sales, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of sales to AliExpress, which is clearly owned by Alibaba Group, uh, for the last three or four months as we were testing our first Chinese partnership. Then we, okay. we launched on Singles Day with Alibaba.com. And we did it through an agency that represents them and gave us full rights to use the Alibaba.com brand. We have had a direct partnership or we had a direct partnership with them for three or four months, uh, whether that they communicated internally at, you know, at their, uh, one, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. I don't blame them for not communicating properly, but it's, it's, uh, it was, it was a crazy week. I'll, I'll say that. Okay. All right. Well, we're way over time, but one last very quick question. Right now, you only offer Bitcoin. Is there a plan to offer any other cryptocurrencies? I'm waiting for another cryptocurrency to uh, prove itself to be more valuable than Bitcoin. I'm, I'm uh, in no way dogmatic. I, I try to keep a very open mind, but um, I think Bitcoin is the, uh, the best uh, store of long-term store of value and uh, the most technologically uh, advanced and distributed at this point. So um, you know, we're in the business of giving people uh, something that they value. And, and so we, if we just offered a bunch of coins that were going up and down, I don't think that would be a very good experience. So right now we're hyper-focused on Bitcoin. I am a big believer in Bitcoin um, over a, a long period of time. I think it will serve its uh, value to society. And I think in a lot of ways, it's already served its value to society. Um, but in the future, um, if, if something comes along that is uh, better than Bitcoin or proves value to society in, in a deep way, um, I would consider it. Okay. All right. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? 
Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-Enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Just wanted you all to know that I'm recording this on Wednesday, so if some major news breaks Thursday, well, I guess I'll cover it next week. Also, I wanted to say happy Thanksgiving to all my U.S. listeners. I hope you had a wonderful meal and took a moment to think about what you are grateful for. I am thankful to all of you for listening, to my sources for sharing their expertise and time, and to my amazing staff, Chris, Anthony, Dan, Josh, and the team at CLK Transcription. Now on to the show. The first headline this week, Vitalik on hard problems in cryptocurrency. Five years ago, Vitalik wrote about 16 hard problems in cryptocurrency, and last Friday he revisited the problems to see how the solutions to them are progressing. Scalability was number one, and he says that since 2014, there's been great theoretical progress, which is pending more real-world evaluation. He also says ASIC-resistant proof-of-work has been solved as far as possible. If you're interested in the technical details on some of these other issues that have had less progress, definitely check out his post. Bram Cohen, creator of BitTorrent and Chia, took Vitalik to task, picking apart some of his points, beginning with, quote, For blockchain scalability, Vitalik talks about on-chain scaling with sharding as the only option. Of course, it isn't the only option. Payment channel networks are much more appealing in many ways and are becoming a real thing. Mustafa al-Bassam had some good rejoinders to Bram. Reasonable people realize that only scaling layer one or layer two and not both is dumb. Only in the Bitcoin space, there are layer one and layer two opposing tribes in the community. Next headline, tribalism, incoherent, nasty, and immature. Without getting into too much detail on this, the response to Vitalik's blog post basically devolved into this conversation about whether or not Ethereum is a scam. Normally, I wouldn't even cover something that's not only not news, but essentially a baseless claim. But it's Thanksgiving, so why not just give voice to a sensible opinion? Placeholders Chris Berniski tweeted, Tribalism is the biggest drain on crypto's human resources that I see today. Tribal toxicity drives newcomers away, has caused valuable talent to leave the industry, and clouds the thinking of the committed. To to those that aren't deep in crypto, we all look like part of the same movement. It makes no sense that a movement attack itself. We end up looking incoherent, nasty, and immature. Who wants to join such a movement? Meanwhile, traditional finance is trapped in a negative interest rate experiment, capitalism is no longer working for the majority, and faith in our institutions is crumbling a perfect opportunity for us to onboard more contributors, and yet instead we sit here bickering. He concludes, Lastly, unless something is provably a scam, move on. Blockstream is not a scam, just as Ethereum is not a scam. Someone having different subjective values than yours does not equal a scam. The market will do the rest. Save your time and energy for more valuable contributions. Next headline. 
The Binance Shanghai office. What really happened? After the block reported last week that Binance's Shanghai office had been raided by police and then closed, Binance CEO Cheng Pengzhou threatened to sue the block. Eventually, the block had to walk back the bit about the police raid, but stood by its assertion that there had been a Shanghai office that had been closed. First, let's discuss whether or not the office existed. Brenna Smith of CryptoCent did some digging and concluded that one of the offices was registered to Bobby Finance, which has some of the same executives as Binance, including co-founder and chief marketing officer Yi He. She concludes, quote, Binance did have a hub in Shanghai through Bobby Finance. Though the police did not raid their offices, the block's underlying reporting holds up despite their misuse of words, as PBOC authorities did visit the office based on reports from the Shanghai state-run media. Now, let's turn to the threat of lawsuits. Fortune's David Morris said this about the kerfuffle, quote, The absurd contortions by Binance make just slightly more sense in light of pressures from China's government. Binance is officially based in Malta, but Zhao was born in China, and the company appears to be working to expand the business there. But the lack of clear rule of law in China makes such expansions subject to the whims of CCP leadership. That means the Chinese Communist Party leadership. And the raid slash visit came just days after the People's Bank of China ordered a crackdown on crypto scams and exchanges. By pushing back on the blog's reporting, Binance may somehow be hoping to curry favor with Chinese authorities. Finally, this week's fun bits. I actually have two stories for you. The first is a cryptocurrency explainer for your friends and family. In case you're still hanging out with your friends and family, hopefully you are. <laughs> hopefully politics didn't drive you all away from each other. Uh, in case you want a, an easy cryptocurrency and blockchain technology explainer for your friends and family over the holidays, you can hear me explain it on uh, this segment on Marketplace, which hilariously my actual friends heard and texted me about. The link to that is in the show notes. The second fun bits story for this week is a journalist tries to relive 2017 to mixed results. If the Marketplace segment gets your friends and family intrigued, they might enjoy this article, Cryptocurrency Will Not Die, by a reporter for G- GQ, Rosecrans Baldwin, trying to understand what crypto is about. He tells the sorry tale of some traders who rode the 2017 wave up and then crashed down in the 2018 to 2019 downturn. That's it for this week's news. To learn more about Alex and Lolly, as well as to read the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to check the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a top rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find out about the show. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fact Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.